Hey, it's Misha. This is Tell Them I Am. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of leap of faith, how it shows up in our lives. Sometimes a leap of faith feels like a huge fucking deal, like when you have to leave your job in a pandemic or end a toxic relationship of many years. But there are subtle leaps too. And those sometimes change how you look at the world. I mean, the phrase itself is really intense. To leap with faith. But it makes so much sense when you know where the phrase comes from. It's a famous story in the sacred text. It's in the Bible and the Midrash. In the Quran, it happens around chapter 21. A surah called Al-Anbiya, meaning the messengers. And the central character here is Abraham, as in the Abraham of the Abrahamic religions. One day, Abraham notices these weird statues in the place of worship in his village. So he's like, I'm gonna go ask my dad and my community about these idols. He's like, hey, guys, why are you worshiping these? And their answer is, because our forefathers worshiped them. And Abraham is like, well, That's not a good reason. Also, that means you've been led astray, off the straight path. So he, in a dramatic fit that I, Misha Youssef, can totally relate to, decides to go smash all the idols. Except the biggest one. The community members go into the house the next day and are like, oh my God, who did this? Some people start whispering and saying, it must be Abraham because he was talking shit about the idols earlier. They call for Abraham and they put him on trial. And trial in this day and age consists of asking Abraham, did you do this? Abraham, not losing his sense of humor, is like, no, it's that big idol over there who did it. Why don't you ask him? The community members look at Abraham in horror. Idols can't talk, Abraham, duh. This gives Abraham an in, and he's like, so then why do you worship them? They can't help you or harm you. But instead of being like, hmm, Abraham might have a point, the community members decide to, in classic Bible style, burn him throw him into a giant fire. And this is the moment that I get stuck on because Abraham doesn't get scared. He doesn't say, oh shit, just kidding. I love the idols, especially the big one. He doesn't run. Instead, he tells the village to back the fuck up and jumps into the fire himself. And here's the wildest part. God cools the fire for him. And Abraham doesn't burn. My name is Arya Gavomian. Really, I've been pondering for the past, I don't know how many years of like who I actually am. In general, I'm known as a filmmaker, but I've honestly always wanted to be a painter. <laughs> And I came to the United States to be an astrophysicist. And um, currently, I'm just sitting in my apartment. So that tells you the extent that I've arrived. (laughs) 
I was raised in Tehran, and Tehran is very much a visceral, sumptuous chaos. Everything all at once, really bustling neighborhoods and really narrow streets that are always packed with this crazy traffic. The thing about growing up in Iran is that you are always in this clash, um, coming from a place that is historically alienated from the rest of the world and having these constant feelings of being isolated and separate and disconnected from the rest of the world. Um, but one thing that would really keep me going and keep the, the kids of my generation going was amidst this chaos, listening to music. And what they're listening to isn't really Iranian music. It's Pink Floyd, The Doors, not at all like the cringy music his parents listened to. Faramarz Aslani has this song called Age Yeruz. Which is just like the most, it's one of the most well-known pop songs. Like any Iranian kid that starts to learn the guitar would just start singing that song. So that that was one of my first songs that I remember. And it, it, it depends on like what time of my life it was. There was this song uh, by this singer named Suzanne Roshan called Arya. And it's really embarrassing because my mom used to just sing it for me all the time. And it goes something like, Aria, Aria. <laughs> and it's so, I mean, I'm cringing thinking about it. <laughs> when he turns 16, Aria moves to the U.S. And he has this idea of what the West is going to be like. This idea that's come from all the movies he's watched and all the music he's listened to. But America is not like that. It took me eight months to get a visa to to, to come to the U.S. Uh, because they said that I was too young. But um, the exact moment I set foot in San Francisco, I realized that I've made a mistake. The immediate juxtaposition, the, the immediate contrast is so vast. So he starts to miss home. And in missing it, he starts to value it. Even the music, the cringy parent music. He thinks, maybe I'll show some of my friends. I like the doors. Maybe they'll like this. But nope, that is not how it works. It just didn't connect. I had this almost this preconceived notion that, okay, well, I guess the Iranian pop doesn't communicate with people. I guess this is it. I guess our music sucks. So for years and years and years, I had disregard for, for, for the culture that I come from. I felt a lot of detachment. And all of this time in California, I felt like this, um, something that was imposed on me, it wasn't my decision. You know, I left thinking that I'm going to go back to Iran, and then a lot of things happened that made me unable to go back to Iran. So in 2012, I packed everything in a bag and I moved to New York City. And at that time, I was almost 22. 
And in some ways, New York City is more familiar. The noise, the traffic, the hustle and bustle. But it's still not home. I always wanted to have this communal experience around myself and be a part of this communal experience, mainly because celebrations in the Iranian calendar, like Nowruz, for example, which is the celebration of the new year, which is the exact moment of spring. You know, when you're in Iran or other countries that celebrate Nowruz, you kind of feel this vibration around you, right? And what happened was that, okay, it seems that somebody needs to do something about Nowruz. <laughs> And that person is going to be me. So I just invited everybody that I knew to my tiny apartment and started cooking for people. Anybody that I would meet, that I would vibe with, basically. I was looking for a way to express this burning desire inside of me to share this event, to share this experience with people, to like cultivate this experience where what is outside of me more or less equals what's inside of me. And I didn't want it to be all emptiness. Um, Notice of 2018 happened to be on a um, Tuesday morning, New York City time, like Tuesday at like, you know, four in the morning, something like that. The week before we had a party at my apartment and my friend Chris, said, listen, Arya, I work at this bar and Monday nights, it's empty. Nobody's here. You should bring your party here. And it was just perfect because, you know, the, the party on a Monday night would lead up to the moment of Nowruz, which would be on a Tuesday morning, you know, the, the dawn of Tuesday. And this bar is called Home Sweet Home. And it's this dive bar underground on Christie Street. It has very moody, dark lighting. And when you enter, there are these crimson leather couches. And the bar has these like really poorly taxidermied carnivorous animals kind of looking at you. And to the side, you see the DJ booth and there's this little disco ball kind of turning. So I think we had you know, less than a week to prepare for this, to get the bands ready, to, to invite people. And I had asked somebody to DJ for us and they quit like 20 minutes before the show, they quit. And there was no other option but me. I had to be the DJ for that night. And that night, I believe around 200 people came. It was funny because like uh, some some like Iranian parents, like a lot of Baba Maman showing up and it's this like punky dive bar. <laughs> and um, the AC breaks down all the time. So imagine like 200 people at this place. It's like a sweaty mess. And on top of all of this, I had just found out that I love the fog machine. They have a fog machine. So I would just like press on this button all the time.
towards the end of the night when um, you know the bands had finished playing, a lot of people had danced and left, and it was basically me behind the decks and the, the DJ decks and. I think like at best like 10 to 15 people in the room and there was like a few couples and I had pressed on this fog machine so much that it was this kind of like misty, foggy, dim light situation. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to play like my most favorite song by Ebi. His music is this kind of uh, very lush arrangements along with uh, this kind of like baritone voice. It, it feels like a really long poem and has a lot of like romantic themes. And it's not something that I would play for anybody and let alone play in public. But I just, I felt very daring. So I was like, I'm just going to play this. So, so I played it and I was having fun. I forgot about all of these internal anxieties. So sometime while this music is playing, I, I look at the far left of this room. And I see this couple making out. And, you know, I can tell that they're not Iranian. And I was just so, so elated. It was almost like a paradigm shift, like something out of Twin Peaks, basically, just like something out of like a David Lynch movie where all the narratives of the past are destroyed and now there is a new story emerging. And that was that, was that moment. And without even realizing it, he took a leap. As a person that... that comes from this background of cultural alienation, both inside of my country and outside of my country. A lot of suffering has come from really worrying about what I mean to the rest of the world and can the rest of the world accept me as this entity, as a person that has a, a, like value and cultural significance and things to offer. What I've learned through Disco Tehran is that it doesn't matter if what is outside of you accepts you. It, what matters is that you let the rest of the world in. Disco Tehran has now started a cinematique called Cinema Tehran at cinematehran.nyc. Stay tuned for Arya's upcoming documentary film, The Candy Store. Tell Them I Am is presented by Higher Ground Audio and Spotify and produced by Dustlight Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Misha Youssef. The executive producers at Higher Ground Audio are Dan Fearman, Mukta Mohan and Anna Holmes. Janae Maribel is editorial assistant. From Dustlight Productions, Mary Knopf is our executive producer. Ariana Garib Lee and Jonathan Shiflett are our producers. 
Arwen Nix is our editor. Valeria Alarcon is our apprentice. This episode was written by me, Misha Youssef, Mary Knopf, Arwen Nix, and Anna Williams, with help from Jonathan Shiflett. It was sound designed by Jonathan Shiflett and Anna Williams. Valentino Rivera is our engineer. David Leinard is our composer and made our gorgeous original music. Additional music this episode includes Age Yeruz by Faramars Aslani, Arya by Susan Roshan, and Goriz by Ebi. Emin Ahmed is our illustrator and the creator of our beautiful episodic art. Elizabeth Goodspeed made our amazing series tile art. Special thanks to Anna Williams for additional production help and Rachel Garcia, our development and operations coordinator. From Spotify, executive producers are Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, and Courtney Holt. This podcast was originally a production of LAS Studios. <laughs>